We're going to talk about the first doctrine that defines Christianity, God's unity, today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, June the 18th of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. And this is going to be our first lesson in a series that we're going to be doing, and I have no idea how long exactly this is going to take. It just depends on how much we talk about each, uh, each of the essentials that we're going through. But that's going to be the title of this series, The Essentials, where we talk about the doctrines that define Christianity and set it apart from other religious systems and philosophies. So anyway, welcome. This is going to be a fun series. I think this is something that you guys are definitely going to enjoy. And I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. I've got a busy week going on. I'm in the middle of uh, taking this class on Daniel where we have to get a semester's worth of lecture in uh, one week. And man, this class is so academic and so technical. This is one class that, if, if nothing else, is just going to cause some serious, serious headaches because there's just so much uh, detail in the book of Daniel. And I, I never had any idea, but this is going to be a great class because I'm, I'm really going to learn a lot from this. And one of the one of the books that preterists use, uh, full preterists use, is the book of Daniel to justify their position. And we've been talking a lot about that and uh, how it gets misinterpreted and uh, you know how the preterists will read their interpretations into the text. So it's, it's been pretty interesting so far. Uh, I've got, you know, today being Wednesday and then uh, Thursday, Friday, and then all day on Saturday again, and then I'll be done. And then for the rest of the summer, I can just spend my time writing all these papers that I have piling up on top of me. But anyway, I'm happy just to have the opportunity to learn. So anyway... Hope you guys are having a great week. Let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. And I specifically want to pray for the people in the Midwest whose homes and whose property and and whose communities are being just torn apart by these floods. So let's go ahead and start this with a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are, and we praise you because of who you are. We thank you that you've drawn all of us to you and that we have the chance to learn more about you. Father, we uh, we lift up the people in the Midwest between Iowa and uh, Mississippi and Missouri and all these states, Lord, where all the flooding is going on. And we just pray for the safety of all the people there. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in this. I know that there are a lot of people asking where you are right now. But Lord, we know that you work in all things and that you have everything under control and that ultimately the victory is yours. And so we ask that you would reveal yourself in the midst of this tragedy for these people. And we especially pray, Lord, for the churches, that they would be your hands and be your feet and reach out to the people in those communities and show your love to people who have never experienced it before in order that you would be glorified. Be with us today, Lord, as we learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, the name of this series, like I said, is The Essentials. And the reason I called it that is because we're going to be talking about the doctrines that define Christianity. And this series is going to be based on the book Conviction Without Compromise by Dr. Norman Geisler and Dr. Ron Rhodes. And as many of you know, I've actually learned directly under both of these great apologists, these great teachers. And for the most part, I would align my theology, for the most part, with theirs. So this book, Conviction Without Compromise, is currently at the top of our recommended reading list on BibleStudyPodcast.org. And if you haven't picked this book up, let me just really, really encourage you, strongly encourage you to get yourself a copy of it. This is really something that every single Christian household should have as a resource. And while I'm going to be going through this book uh, for this study, I should note that I normally won't be nearly as detailed as Dr. Geisler and Dr. Rhodes are. Or maybe at times, you know, I might be a little bit more specific than they are on certain issues. But either way, definitely do yourself a favor and pick this book up. Uh, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and on the right-hand side you'll see a recommended reading list. You can order it directly off of our website from Amazon. So anyway, if you do pick this book up, as you go through it, and as we'll go through this study, you'll develop an understanding of the doctrines which are essential to our faith. That is, these are the beliefs which define Christianity and thus set Christianity apart from other religions and, and philosophies and worldviews. That's going to be the whole point of this series. So by the time we're done, uh, you really should have a pretty clear understanding of what beliefs define and set the boundaries of Christianity. So let's go ahead and start off by just talking about why a study like this is even necessary to begin with. You know, I recently received an email from a listener who asked, will followers of religions other than Christianity go to heaven or hell? And you know, to be honest with you guys, that's a question that we've probably all asked at one point or another. I know that's a question that I once asked myself. In fact, that was one question that, you know, I was confronted with when I became a Christian, which was extremely difficult for me to answer. Um, but on the one hand, you know, the world will commonly say that all roads lead to God. Uh, but then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. So scripture makes it clear that only those who have put their faith in Jesus will be in heaven. Uh, these other world religions fall short. They're not the same as Christianity. You know, if, if Jesus claimed to be God, which he did, and if Jesus authenticated his claim uh, to be God by performing miracles, which he did, uh, then what Jesus said must be entirely true. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie. So if what Jesus said was entirely true, then putting faith in Jesus is the one and only way to get to heaven. Further, if what Jesus said was entirely true, then then any religion or religious or philosophical system which contradicts the words of Jesus is false, because anything which contradicts what's true is false. Jesus affirmed the authority of Scripture. So if there is a religious or philosophical system which denies the authority of Scripture, that system must be false. So the issue really boils down to what Scripture teaches. Now, there are certain beliefs in Christianity, and we call these beliefs doctrines, uh, which, which are necessary to believe in order for a person to be saved. And some of these beliefs are taught explicitly in Scripture, such as belief in the existence of God, for example. Uh, and, and some of them are taught implicitly, such as the triunity or the trinity, uh, which is a term you know you won't find in the Bible because it's not there in that term, but it is taught implicitly. Uh, so one of the things 
that is not necessary to believe in order to be saved is the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, However, without an inspired, God-breathed, inerrant Bible, there's no basis for beliefs or doctrines that are necessary for salvation. So uh, we will discuss why we believe that the Bible is inerrant at several points throughout this series. So just make sure that you stay tuned for that. We do believe that the Bible is inerrant and infallible, and that's going to be one of the points that we cover as we go along here. Further, in order to correctly understand the inerrant scriptures, we have to have an interpretive methodology, that is a hermeneutic, which is both logical and consistent. We have to have a means of interpreting the Bible that is logical and consistent. So many people, when they're reading or studying the Bible, will ask, well, what does this mean to me? Or what does this mean to you? Friends, don't ever ask a question like that when you're studying the Bible. Instead, we should just be asking, what does this mean, period, or question mark. But anyway, what was the author trying to communicate? Scripture has only one meaning. It doesn't differ from person to person, although we should note that there is a distinction to make between meaning and significance. A passage or a verse can have different significance for different people. For example, a person who has committed adultery will probably find a lot more significance in the narrative that tells of Jesus forgiving the adulterous woman than a person who has not committed adultery will find in that passage. But there is only one true meaning of Scripture. So we'll be using what will be referred to as the essentially literal method of interpretation, which is also known as the literal historical grammatical method of interpretation. Without using uh, a method of interpretation that is, is literal, a literal method of interpretation, it would be impossible to objectively determine which doctrines define Christianity and who is really interested in subjective philosophy or theology anyway. You know, we want something objective, something absolute salute to believe in. And the Bible does give us just that. So there's a saying that Dr. Rhodes and Dr. Geisler use in, uh, in this book, uh, Conviction Without Compromise, that many of you will probably be familiar with, and that is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. You know, one of the issues that maybe you've heard me comment on before, and which I've received several emails in regards to, is the position that the King James Version of the Bible is the only legitimate translation that we should be using. And there are a lot of pastors out there who actually believe that. And that's something I believe I answered in the December 2007 question and answer lessons. So uh, go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to that already. But you know, several pastors out there will make this into a divisive issue when it shouldn't be. The translation that a person uses would fall under non-essentials because it's really a method more than a message. It's not a message at all, in fact. It's it's a means of carrying out a message, and that's why it's, it's a method. But the method that we use to communicate the message is really a non-essential issue. The body of Christ should be united in everything that's essential to our faith and should tolerate diverse opinions on issues that are non-essential. And note that when I say tolerate, I don't mean to say that we should accept those things as being true. I just mean that we want to recognize that it's not an issue that we need to make into a divisive issue that we judge others by. Uh, You know, for example, a few years ago, when Terry Chavo was about to be euthanized in Florida, you know, I, I was on a Christian message board in which some of those who believed that Terry Chavo should be kept alive felt that anyone who believed that she should be euthanized couldn't be a Christian. And that's a great example of a non-essential issue because an issue like that doesn't determine whether a person 
is Christian or not. Uh, that's what we're going to be doing in this study. This study is going to help us to make a distinction between the essentials and the non-essentials. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, the first doctrine that we're going to cover should be something that's foundational to the rest of the study or of the series. So in light of this, the first essential that we're going to be discussing is the doctrine of God's unity. Now, when we speak of God's unity, we're saying that God is one being. There aren't two gods or three gods or any gods other than the one true God who created the heavens and the earth. The one God is referred to by several names, however, such as Yahweh, Elohim, uh, Jehovah, I am, and so on and so forth. And all of these names refer to the one true God. This is what we find throughout Scripture. For example, in Deuteronomy 6.4, we find what is referred to as the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Isaiah 44.6, we read, God reveals, quote, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. And this is reaffirmed in the chapters that follow as well in, in the book of Isaiah. So the New Testament also affirms that there's only one God. In Ephesians 4, 6, Paul tells us that there is one God and Father of all. So necessary to God's unity is also his simplicity. Now, hear me when I say this. When we refer to God's simplicity, we don't mean that he's simple to understand. In other words, we don't mean simple in the same sense as easy. Rather, when we say that God is simple, what we're saying is that he's irreducible. He doesn't have parts. He is one in essence and one in substance. We assert that God is three persons with one substance and one nature. We don't, however, believe that the three persons are three separate and distinct gods. They are one in nature and one in substance. So to put it plainly, uh, persons aren't the equivalent of parts, or to put it simply, so to speak. Huh, yeah, pun intended. Anyway, one of the objections to the oneness of God is that God is sometimes referred to in the plural sense. Um, you know, the name Elohim, for example, is plural and is occasionally translated as gods, which is what we find in Psalm 82, verse 6, for example. But the reason that God is sometimes referred to in the plural is because the term was used to refer to the overwhelming greatness, dignity, and majesty of God's nature, according to uh, God. Geisler and Rhodes here. This term never means that God is more than one or that more than one God exists. You know, if we take a look at the Hebrew words uh, in the great Shema, we find that when it says the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the word used for God here is Elohim. And, uh, you know, the same verse that says Elohim, which is the plural tense of God, it also says that God is one. So it's clear that the word Elohim, even though that word is plural, isn't teaching that there's more than one God. People will also point to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 uh, and 27, where God refers to himself in plural form by saying, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Uh, does this mean that there's more than one God? Well, absolutely not, because as we continue reading this passage, it tells us, so God created man in his own image, not their own image, his own image. So this same verse, which uses the plural form, also refers to God in the singular form. Only one God is intended to be implied here. Scripture clearly teaches that there is only one God. You will never find Scripture affirming that there's more than one God. 
Now, one thing that we'll be doing, uh, we'll be ending each lesson in this series with a discussion of groups and cults and religions and philosophies which deny the essential doctrine that we teach in each one of these lessons. So you can all have some examples of groups which might claim to be spiritual or, or even Christian, but which teach false doctrine or base their theology on misinterpretations of Scripture. So the first and, and probably most obvious group, aside from atheists, which aren't in line with the Christian view of God, would be Mormons. You know, they've historically denied that there is only one eternal God, but rather the Mormons historically have taught that God was once a man, just like you and me, and as a result of his righteousness, he became God. But according to traditional Mormonism, God had a father, and God's father had a father, who had a father, who had a father, and so on and so forth, ad infinitum. You know, what they teach, essentially, is infinite regress, which is a logical impossibility. In other words, you can trace God's father's 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 father, you know, back to infinity. Uh, They also teach that if you're righteous enough, you'll be a god with your own universe someday as well. Well, obviously, this is not in line with what Scripture teaches at all. They teach a plurality of gods. And I know that that Joel Osteen went on Fox News and affirmed that Mitt Romney, who is a Mormon, uh, he he affirmed that Mitt Romney's a Christian. But when he got called out on the issue by the newscaster, Joel Osteen admitted that he has never read anything about Mormonism. He's never even thought about the issue. So uh, you know, that kind of makes you wonder why he affirmed that Mitt Romney's a Christian if Joel Osteen doesn't even realize that uh, Mitt Romney's religion, Mormonism, traditionally denies the existence of only one God. And for that reason, Mormonism is not a Christian religious system, although there are more problems with Mormonism than that. But this is one that sets them apart from Christianity. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses also fall into the category of groups which have historically denied the existence of one God. They believe that Jesus was a lesser God. Many of them believe that he was an angel, but they also have taught that he was a lesser God who was created by Jehovah. Jehovah's Witnesses will commonly cite verses like uh, Isaiah 9-6, which refers to the coming Messiah, Jesus, as a mighty God. So they say, well, this verse says that Jesus is a mighty God, but then they ignore the fact that Jehovah is referred to as the same thing in the very next chapter, in chapter 10, verse 21. So, for that reason, the Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. They deny the the unity, the oneness of God. So, this is one thing that sets Jehovah's Witnesses outside of the scope of Christianity. Although, again, just like with the Mormons, there are other problems that we'll address as we uh, as we go along through this study. Uh, many of the false teachers that we see on television these days also deny this doctrine of God's unity. For example, both uh, both Benny Hinn and Paul Crouch on TBN, uh, they both teach that um, when the Bible Bible says that mankind was made in God's image, that means that we're all little gods. Well, this is absolute nonsense. You know, it's no wonder that you'll find so much false theology on on TBN. First of all, they commonly deny the essentially literal method of interpretation, and instead what they'll do is they'll allegorize or they'll spiritualize what the Bible says. That is, they look for a meaning behind the words and make it all subjective, especially the word seed, uh, especially on TBN. You'll find them really, really allegorizing the word seed and finding different meanings behind that word. But, you know, this leads many of the false teachers 
teachers on TBN and other followers of those teachers to deny the doctrine that there is one God and one God only because they affirm that being made in the image of God means that we are gods too. But we are not gods, not even with a lowercase g. We're not gods. There's only one God. So anyway, that brings our lesson on God's unity to a close. Be sure to pick up a copy of Conviction Without Compromise before next week's lesson if you get a chance. And read through chapter 3. We'll talk about those essentials next week. This is really a book that I really, really do believe every Christian household should have. Because in order to know what's false, we have to know what is true. We have to know what the Bible teaches, what Christianity affirms, in order to know whether a group of people are Christian. You know, how do we know that Mormons are Christian or not? How do we know if Jehovah's Witnesses are Christian or not? Well, we look at what the Bible teaches and what the Bible affirms, and if they line up with it, well, now we know that they're not Christian groups. So this is something that is definitely important for every Christian to to understand this material. So Anyway, God bless you guys. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me anytime. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. But thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this is something that you guys are going to get a lot out of. God bless you guys. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right hand side you can make a tax deductible donation from there by doing so you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who just like yourself desire to find answers and meaning in scripture we thank you for listening today and we pray that the lord blesses you and draws you closer to him keep growing closer to jesus